When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I'm your host today and I'm joined by my two esteemed colleagues, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrell Marshall. Now you might hear my voice. It's not as beautiful Jordy best today. I'm still recovering from a weekend in Milan. Samuel, what did you get up to and have you had a good week? I've, I've been at uh, games, I think, whilst suppose you've been at a, a game. It looked like you the, uh, the San Zero. Yes, yep. yes, indeed. Uh, but other than that, it's 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 been a busy week with with deadline day and and uh, and, and other newsworthy matters. Of course, and Tyrone, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Stephen. I'm good. I like your efforts to claim that you're still suffering from a weekend in Milan rather than Tuesday night at the big market. But um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll come on to that. Yep, of course. Um, we'll get stuck into that a bit later on the podcast. United will play Newcastle in the final of the Carabao Cup later this month. But we'll just start off with the big breaking news from Thursday afternoon. Uh, Greater Manchester Police announced that criminal proceedings have been discontinued against Mason Greenwood. All charges have been dropped against him. Now, we're not going to get into this too particularly uh, for legal reasons, obviously, but uh, United did respond a few hours after that was announced. I'll just read the statement for anyone who hasn't saw it. So, Manchester United notes the decision of the Crown Prosecution Service that all charges against Mason Greenwood have been dropped. The club will now conduct its own process before determining the next steps. We will not make any further comment until the process is complete. Now, Samuel, you were obviously at the press conference on Friday. We are recording on the Friday afternoon. You've just come back, hence your attire. Um, what was said at that press press conference? Because Ten Hag was obviously going to be asked about the matter. He was. I think the first three questions were about Greenwood, and he he said he couldn't comment. He wouldn't comment, which wasn't a particular surprise, uh, given that the club put that statement out yesterday, and they also clarified that that Greenwood won't be coming back to training and he won't be available to play either so there's there's not a lot else that anybody can really uh, do on the matter now uh, obviously you know the, the the charges have been dropped against him so uh, in certain sections of the media there might be different coverage but I think for the time being given that United are conducting this process before they did I think in their words it was determined the next steps to take after that process has been completed and there's no time frame on how long that will take either I think at that point people will be able to be a bit more open with with their opinion on on the matter because there has to be a decision made sooner or later 
that's all we'll see on the matter for now on this podcast. Um, we'll jump into the football stuff. Obviously, a busy week, as we've just touched upon in the introduction. We had deadline day on Tuesday. Then Manchester United defeated Nottingham Forest on the Wednesday. But we'll start with deadline day tie. Obviously, I came back from Milan, unpacked my bags, and I was back on the on the computer for deadline day. It was busier than expected, wasn't it? Uh, Marcel Sabitzer obviously came in. What's your verdict been on the window? Because we've had Jack Butlin come in, we've had Walt Weghorst and Sibitza. Do you think it was a good window? And I guess, what would you rate it out of 10 if you had to? Um, I, I guess around eight, 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 eight to eight and a half out of 10, maybe. Um, yeah. I think it was a very professional window from, from United. We were talking about this at the game on Wednesday. And if you'd have, I think six weeks out from the start of that window, United and John Merton recruitment team would have said we're not we're not doing anything. January's going to be quiet. Nothing's going to happen. And in the end, they signed three players, but they signed them out of necessity. Really, I mean, I was I was joking in the office on deadline day that United have had to react. They've had to be reactive in this transfer window and have had to be reactive to essentially Martin Dubravka, Piers Morgan, and Andy Carroll. That's what's essentially kind of caused to the issues what Dubravka a wanted to go what a trio indeed yeah yeah I mean there's never a movie made of this deadlift this, um, <laughs> of this transfer window I mean it won't be a thriller for starters but I'm not sure who's going to play who um, but you know that's that's what caused the issues basically if, if those things hadn't have happened United wouldn't have signed anyone so they've had to be reactive Dubravka wanted to go back to Newcastle Ronaldo did what he did Andy Carroll you know crunched Ericsson and had that bizarre performance on, on Saturday and because of that they've, they've had to dip their toes into the market and Butland for Dubravka's like for like really we've we've covered that we've talked about Veghorst not like for like for Ronaldo but in terms of what they were giving this season probably not too far off he's proven already he can be a decent addition and then Sabitzer on deadline day I think that's as good as you're going to get when you get you know 48 hours noticed at most really that you need a midfielder and You've got no money, which we've we've been over that previously as well on on podcast. That not only did not plan to sign anyone, but they didn't have any money to sign anyone. So they've had three curveballs thrown at them. You like had to make three signings on a very limited budget, and I think to end up with Butland, Regos, and Sabitzer is probably as good as it could have got. Really, in terms of straight loans, there's no obligations in there. Loan fees are pretty small. Wage packets are all very manageable. And I think they've they've come out of the window as well as they possibly can, given that it has it you know it has tested them really it has tested Murta and the recruitment team to have to react to those situations. The Ericsson one right at the end. So yeah, I would say, you know, it, it feels strange to be giving a window where United signed Butland, Vegorst, and Sabitzer a, a high number, but in terms of the way the club have conducted themselves and, and reacted to those situations, I think it's got to be a, an eight, eight and a half really because they have. They have come out of it well when, in reality, it, it could have gone against them. They could have ended up with no striker. They could have ended up with no Ericsson replacement. They haven't done. They've got a decent enough squad to go into the rest of the season now. So I think you'd have to say it's been it's been successful. I'd have to agree with that. I think that's very fair. Um, obviously, there's a bit I came in late on deadline day, Samuel. I think you wrote a piece along the lines of Manchester United actually acted like a serious football club uh, on deadline day with the news of, obviously, Christian Ericsson's injury. So... Could you give a bit of insight into how that deal happens? Because fair play to the club, they reacted quickly and, and got the deal done with Bayern Munich. When Ten Hag spoke at the press conference on Tuesday, uh, the news came out shortly after that about Sabitzer. So clearly, before that press conference took place, he'd made the request to the uh, to the board to to John Murta. It's not like he spoke to us and 
I don't know, got got pessimistic vibes off journalists and decides, oh, I must sign a player on the back of that. But it was a very quick turnaround. United said it was done within 12 hours, which is is pretty good going. It helps that they've had, always had a good relationship, by and large, with, with Bayern Munich. And also the agent, the player and the club were all in, um, in unison on, on what uh, what was best for, for Sabitza. And Sabitza was up for it, which made things a hell of a lot smoother occasionally or more often i suppose um with, with a transfer deal someone will have you know have an issue of some sort but that enabled them to do it very quickly and i i agree with ty in that it's it's been a successful window and that they have got the deals done very swiftly butland came in i think four or five days after dubravka was recalled uh, i think ty wrote about they course that approach was made before United played Burnley in the League Cup on December the twenty first. So they he he was a duck that was lined up early, so to speak, by by Ten Hag, and that looked pretty complex on on paper, given that he was already out on loan. But in the end, he was signed on January thirteenth, I think was the date. So again, a swift deal done. And then of course you've got uh, the the online crowd who, who think that it's it's been a bad window or that United should have spent as much as Chelsea uh, who are completely detached from reality and how transfer windows work and how United work I mean it's it, it's as if they've written off the fact that or completely forgotten or choosing to forget that United spent more than 200 million pounds in the summer window and two of those deals were bankrolled now I know United did need to spend that amount in the summer but that was always going to compromise what they can do now and since then, of course, it's come out that the owners are looking to sell up. So they're not going to be spending a hell of a lot of money in January. And I, I don't think that was necessarily an issue, really. I mean, the the, the quality of the players is a bit so it, the quality of the players has got gradually better. Butland has been a backup goalkeeper for the last four or five years. It feels like uh, Veghorst is an average striker, but he has different attributes to United's other forwards. He's clearly going to be a backup to Anthony Martial now that Martial is fit, and provided that Martial does stay fit. And Sabitzer, whenever I've watched him, has always I've I've always been impressed by him. Um, I thought when Bayern Munich signed him, you thought I, I thought at the time typical Bayern Munich. That's a good, you know, it's a, it's a good addition. Uh, there's clear clear foresight there. So for United to have got a quality player like that in at the eleventh hour is good going so some of the pessimism that um has been forwarded to me I, i'm i'm completely you know completely gobsmacked by it. i think one of the sample comments was uh c- clearly someone was moaning about that united took as long as they did to sign a midfielder even though ericsson's injury was what it was on the saturday the deadline day was on the tuesday and they said oh but, but yeah they they knew that donny was injured uh at the start of the month well Whoever said that Donny Van Der Beek was a, a key injury? I mean, he was. Quite, I think his his status in the squad was reflected by the fact that there was no real rush to go out and and get a replacement in. And I know Ten Hag mentioned the other day that Van Der Beek was injured, so that was factored into it. But his injury was inconsequential. Um, Ericsson's injury was was significant, and they did need to do something there. And of course, the fact that McTominay is out for a number of weeks as well um, made it even more urgent. But Ericsson was the key injury there, and to to be honest, I'm I'm not being, yeah, you know, this is not me being in in Pravda mode at all or anything. I mean, all of us on this podcast have been extremely critical of United. The the way I always say it is that the Emian is the most critical of United, and it's also the most praiseworthy when praise is deserved. 
we've all you know done pieces um lambast in various aspects of the club we don't need to justify ourselves in that sense at all but when united have done something right they deserve to be praised and i thought they they got the window uh pretty spot on in the end so you know these these fans can carp on all they like but um they're lucky that they they got three signings as it is After 10 minutes in, Ty, so we'll actually talk about some football on the pitch, should we? Because there was a game on Wednesday night at Nottingham Forest at Old Trafford. United are through to the final of the, the Red Bull Trophy. Oh, sorry, sorry, the, the Carabao Trophy. It's the Carabao. Um, there was goals from Martial and Fred on the night, 5-0 on aggregate. So a very, very comfortable two-leg result. Were you surprised in how comfortable it was across those two games? And did we learn anything from that apart from get in, Man United, for the fans, they're in a final. It's a great deal for them. Um, I, I'm not sure we learned too much from from Wednesday night. Well, I suppose there was a couple of of interesting-ish tactical um, tactical things. Uh, Samuel will probably know why I'm laughing here. Were there? But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the ten arc was asked about post match, and the you know playing Sancho as a number ten and moving Fernandez to the right, playing Lindelof as defensive midfield. Both things that ten Hag kind of hinted at could happen in in future going forward certainly the Sancho is number 10 I think is interesting he did play there a fair bit for for Dortmund I don't think we'll see Lindelof playing instead of Casemiro very often but it is an an option to give him a rest for 10 or 15 minutes in games I guess but over the course of the 180 minutes I don't think we learned much apart from the the golf in class between newly promoted Nottingham Forest and United is is pretty big Forest are missing some some key players not having Dean Henderson was was obviously a blow for them um, second leg, they missed Morgan Gibbs White. Then had Lingard injured in the warm up. I think that was a, a huge blow. But had Morgan Gibbs White been available, I don't think they were going to win four nil. I think the game was was already over. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think we'll learn much apart from United are, are turning into a very good, very professional team. They are, they are making light work of these opponents. The games are, especially at Old Trafford, the games are just very drama free at the moment, which is unprecedented really in in recent years they're on this 12 game winning streak at home at the moment the vast majority have just been comfortable wins really 2-0 to what 2-0 3-0 3-1 you know there's been no I think that's off my head there hasn't been much drama in those games much late drama it's all been fairly serene and, and that's what it was like home and away the away leg they started well scored first took control and beyond that Forrest never looked like getting back into the tie really um so yeah, just very, you know, very, very simple. It didn't really feel like a semi-final at all, to be honest, especially the second leg. Um, nothing happened until those substitutions on the hour mark, really. We were saying at half-time that you don't, as, from a writing point of view, you didn't want Forrest to be 2 0 up and causing you any headaches, but at the same time, it would be nice for United to have gone and, and, and killed it off. It took them a while to do, but yeah, it was just supremely routine, really, and it it... Partly, I think this was didn't feel like a semi, and partly the sort of mentality of United now that even the final whistle there was just a few handshakes, claps to the crowd, off we go. And you know you can you compare it with St James's Park on Tuesday night when Newcastle, I think they might still be doing a lap of honour. Um, that PA system turned up to eleven. You know it it looks like, and I know there's more emotional factors with Newcastle here in terms of not getting to a final for ages and things like that, but it looked like the final was the the end goal for Newcastle and just part of the journey for for United, did, really. Did they play um, the Saudi Arabian National Anthem as well? 
Stephen, can you can you confirm? <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, I'll just say to the to listeners, if you're watching on YouTube, go back and Tyrone's answer there. Listen very carefully and watch Samuel's face. If you can notice the the moment that Samuel smiled, um, just go back and have a look at that there. Um, Fred and Casemiro started in midfield. Samuel uh, with Bruno Fernandez. Tenag said at his press conference today that Sibitza will be involved against Palace tomorrow. Um, going forward for the rest of the season, what midfield three do you think is likely to start the most? Do you think we could see, because Eriksen was undroppable almost, do you think Sabitza could kind of take up that role or do you think we'll see more of Fred? Well, Sabitza's more attack-minded than Fred, although Fred has probably had his best run of form for United as as an advanced midfielder. He was, he was one of the few who emerged from the, the Rangnick reign with, with any credit. Uh, Rangnick seemed to settle on Fred playing further forward uh, being been the best use of him and he, he had a number of good games there and he became more of a goal threat playing that way as well and I think he's got four goals already this season he's he's had a he's actually had a good season where he's not been as overexposed as he was uh, un, under previous regimes I think United probably better maximised him as, as a player and, and his limitations haven't been as, as obvious because he's not necessarily being used sparingly, but he's being used at the right times. He, when he's coming on in games, he's having good impacts. When he starts, he's he's usually performing bar the aberration at, at Brentford, I suppose. So I think he's got enough credits in the bank to to keep his place until really he he loses form if if that does indeed happen or um, there's there's a call for rotation. I mean, United are playing Leeds next week, and Fred scored home and away against them last season. Leeds. I know they're under a different manager now in, in Jesse Marsh, but they're still a very porous team. So I think Ten Hag would be inclined to to keep Fred in for for those games. But then, as I mean, ties down the piece today, and we've spoken about it a hell of a lot in terms of the games coming up. It's it's impossible to be starting players um, in 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 all of those games. There there are very few I think who can really withstand this this taxing period that's coming up a few of us spoke to Fernandez in the the tunnel the other night and he he again conveyed what he said before that he's he won't be happy if he isn't starting games he said he's not happy if he doesn't complete 90 minutes and that's that's the right mentality to have but as a manager you've got to be quite sensible with that and Sabitza it, it helps that the balance of the midfield is 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 aided I think by him coming in because he is probably a more attack-minded midfielder than Fred Fred is slightly more attack-minded than Casemiro, and Casemiro is one of the still one of the best attacking midfielders. Yet is also probably the best defensive midfielder around. So just going off those three, United are in 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 a good place there. And and obviously McTominay, I think he he has been found out this season. But as a squad player, he's he's fine, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be out for too long. Ten Hag spoke about weeks. He I think he did mention one, two, or and and three in the sentence so it's unclear exactly how long McTominay will be out for but for now I think Fred given that he's he's been a pretty good player for United and also as, as Ten Hag noted he's he's got a very good rapport with Casemiro from the, the the number of times they've played together for the Brazil national team uh, to the point that it was, it was slightly surprising that Fred didn't start the World Cup in midfield for Brazil then logically you go with them to uh, for, for the foreseeable and upcoming games but it'd be interesting to see how Sabitzer is integrated into the team and what kind of impact he makes um, going forward Now Tyrone I messaged you before the podcast I messaged both of you and we were discussing briefly the running owner and 
Ty, you made a very good point about the fixture list in February. Um, my birthday is in this month, so just that's worth remembering amongst all the busy fixtures. Um, but United have six games, including obviously the weekend's game against Palace, league up to the final, and Newcastle have three. Um, United also play Barcelona in the second leg of that Europa League match three days before the final. So it's not going to be an easy month. Do you think the squad has the, the depth and the quality to kind of survive that period? And what are your expectations in the cup competitions and the Prem and just for February? Because it's, it's going to be tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a really difficult month. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that when you think, like you say, I think it, it, you know it's eight games in total from the one they played on on Wednesday night to that final. Leeds twice, Barcelona twice, ending in a final. It's, it's going to be really taxing, taxing and you know, Samuel mentioned the piece I wrote before. I, I said if they finish, I mean, if February is to end and they were third in the league into the Europa League last 16 and winners of the Carabao Cup, it would be a, a phenomenal month, really. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's no doubt about that. They've got two very winnable home games in that in the Premier League, Palace and Leicester, which the way they're playing at Old Trafford should be relatively comfortable. But even, you know, even the Leeds doubleheader, Leeds are, in, I guess you have to say they're in a relegation battle again, but... They're always hard games against them. They're a hard-running team. They take a lot of energy from you. And for United, they, those games obviously come with an edge. <clears throat> Excuse me. To be playing the Wednesday and, and Sunday is is obviously a difficult back-to-back fixture list. Um, at Tanag was asked in his press conference on Wednesday after the game about playing Barcelona on the Thursday and then the final on the Sunday. And I think we know enough by now that he's not the type of manager to, to cry an excuse, and especially before things have happened. And he kind of said it's all about attitude and mentality and did mention that he, he'd had that before with Ajax and they they played the Dutch Cup final after they'd won at Tottenham in the Champions League semis in, in 2019 and won both games. That was a Tuesday-Sunday turnaround, but at the same time, the European game was was away, whereas United is at home this week. I think he made three changes there and I think what we're probably not going to see during this month is wholesale changes. I think it's pretty clear now he doesn't do rotation for rotation's sake. I think we were all stunned to see Casemiro play on Wednesday and to then play 80 minutes. Um, you know, he, the, the players who it just seems are essentially undroppable. So if we see rotation, I think it's going to be one or two changes here and there. It, it's fortunate that the, the squad does look a bit stronger all of a sudden. Sabitzer is that fourth midfield option, but beyond that, they're, you know, they're still stretched a bit in midfield. Attack is clearly a lot better with Martial and Vegos now fit. Sancho coming back you throw in Garnacho and you've got two players for every position there as well as Palestri and Alanga so there, there is enough in the squad now I think to, to rotate same with Wambasaka doing well as, as backup for Dallo but I'm just not sure we'll we'll see that much of it I think it will be a case of asking for more and more and more from the players and, and in that answer he gave on Wednesday night Tenag basically said of, of the final and playing three days before round that you can do it, but it's about attitude and mentality. And that's the type of thing we've been hearing from him all season, really, that if the players have got their attitude right and their mentality right, they can do it. And I think that's going to be the message during during the eight games in, in this month. But it's certainly going to be the hardest month of the season so far, no doubt about it. I think you're right about Leeds. Whenever I watched them this season, I thought they'd been all right, but they just don't pick up results, do they? They still really win games. Now, in the marsh, it's a shame Bielsa's uh, not still in charge because... The whipping boys for United, weren't they? With, with Bielsa, it was 6 nils and 5 nils, whenever the scoreline was. Well, the goals would always flow. Um, Samuel, if we look at the cup final itself, obviously Wembley, the 26th of February, I've got that date saved, so you better believe it. Um, it's a huge as you've been to get to a final in your first season in charge, but 
Tenog and Luke Shaw both talked after the game and they said, look, it doesn't matter getting to a final, you need to win it. Um, but what would it mean for Tenog to win a trophy in his first season to end the club's trophy doubt? Because it's been far too long, hasn't it, since the club uh, won a trophy in, in 2017. That That's it. It's just ending that trophy drought. Uh, that's probably the most important aspect about it because it's not it's not a coveted competition. It's not seen as a competition that is is particularly meaningful to United. It's become more meaningful to them in the last sixteen years or so since they won it in in two thousand six. Because again, there was a mini mini drought at the time uh, back in the days when if they didn't win a trophy in the season, it was an end of days really, and that 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 had been the case in oh four oh five. So in the 05-06 season, they treated the League Cup a lot more seriously than they had done in the majority of previous seasons under Ferguson. And I remember Ben Foster, who, I mean, he, he retrospectively admitted he just didn't have the right mentality to be a Man United goalkeeper. And that was one of the reasons was because when they did win the League Cup in 2009, he made a save in the penalty shootout from Jamie O'Hara. He got the man of the match. It was... This is how long ago it was now. It was seen as quite revolutionary that as he was preparing for the shootout, the goalkeeping coach, Eric Steele, showed him uh, Tottenham players' spot kicks on uh, an iPod, as it was back then. I don't think iPods even exist anymore. And that was seen as real ahead of the curve technology. And obviously he was basking in the glow of winning his first trophy for Man United and being man of the match. And I remember he gave an interview retrospectively where he said, um, sorry, later on, I think it was after he moved to Birmingham and he was he said how shocked he was that there wasn't an open-top bus parade because they'd won the League Cup. Uh, now, United, because of the, the council, a pretty bitter council as well, uh, the previous year didn't even do an open-top bus tour when they won the Premier League and the Champions League. So the League Cup is just... It's seen as another fixture, as cliched as that sounds. Obviously, it is a lot more important this season than it has been in previous finals. As far as United, yeah. finals and the League Cup go for them. Um, it's difficult to think of a more a more significant one, and that's because of the trophy drought. So, at the risk of uh, quoting that the, this means more guff from Liverpool that they've they've seemed to have copyrighted, it, it probably does for Newcastle because they they don't get to finals particularly often. This is their first final since ninety nine. They've not won a major trophy since um, 1969, I think it is. Uh, it's interesting symmetry that their last final was against United at the old Wembley as well. So there's there's a lot more going on at the Newcastle side of things than for United. And that's that's despite the fact that this is still, the, by far and away, the best chance United have of winning a trophy this season. But it's all about just ending that drought as soon as possible because if it gets to six years or if it goes beyond six years, then you're in the territory of it being us guys writing this is their worst trophy drought since between the European Cup in 68 and winning the FA Cup in 77. And of course, that period included a relegation. I don't think United are in in danger of getting relegated anytime soon, but they desperately need a trophy in as, as quickly as possible, a new attraction in the museum. And of course, it, you know, I think if they get top four this season without winning a trophy, you can say it's a moderate success. But if you've got Champions League qualification with a trophy, it's an undeniable success. And Ten Hag is clearly very driven to achieve that. It should be a cracking atmosphere, I think, at Wembley uh, later this month and a cracking game. In terms of what we actually are expecting from the game, Ty, um, 
both sides really well defensively drilled, solid at the back. I think they've they've both got sixteen clean sheets uh, apiece now, which is actually the joint most in Europe's top five league. So that shows the kind of job Ten Hag's done at the back, especially after last season, and of course Eddie Howe in the northeast. Um, so what are you expecting from the game? United are obviously heading into it favourites. They've they've got the tournament pedigree, so the competition pedigree. They've got the history on their side. So do you think it's a case of you know? the trophies coming back to Manchester there I say is I don't think it'd be that easy to be honest I think we've all seen what playing Newcastle is like for for big clubs this season Um, we saw it at United when they made it I think the last thing to stop United winning at Old Trafford saw what they did at Anfield um, saw what they did at Arsenal it's you know it's not a pleasant experience Eddie Howe at Bournemouth was basically a a team who played good football but were a soft touch against, against the bigger sides and then he's had this time out of the game as has been to see Diego Simeone Atletico and Atletico and basically produced one of the biggest heel turns since Triple H. Um, you know, it's it's absolutely <laughs> bizarre, really, the way they've the way they've just changed and become this horrible, spiteful, time wasting team. And you know, fair play to him. It, it's getting results, and it's you know, you're no better than me, Stephen. But it's uniting the fan base against them, especially at a time when you know, Sam, you mentioned the Saudi Arabian national anthem before. Everyone suddenly has a reason to dislike Newcastle, and legitimately, as some might argue. Um, but how is is kind of fostering this spirit of us against them, and everyone's out to get us? And you're seeing it on the pitch with the way they play, and especially against big teams. We saw it in the semi-final, second leg against Southampton. I mean, the amount of time wasting at the end was tedious. Um, it was brilliant, and it's just it's just not what so you Nick, expect Nick, from an Eddie Nick Howe team. For you. <laughs> Nick Pope. Nick Pope's he's, incredible. He's worse than Tim. He should be he's England's worse than Tim number one, Samuel. England's number one, yeah. you're correct, Samuel. Well done. He's, the he's, he's, a good, he's a good goalie. He is a good, good keeper, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I don't you know, I don't think they're going to go to Wembley and make it an, an, a nice experience if, if Manchester United want that trophy. I can see it being a very tight game. And I think we've seen enough of Newcastle this year to know that they can, they can compete with these teams on their day. Hmm. Like we say, they're going to be backed by a loud, a loud following. There, it's going to mean an awful lot to them. So, I don't think anyone really thinks it's going to be a, a walk in the park for for Manchester United. Yeah, I could see a very similar game to the nil nil uh, in October. Lord Trafford, cagey, it was tight, and I could see that again at Wembley. Um, it has the makings of extra time, Samuel. certainly. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought that. I said that. Um, Crystal Palace tomorrow. And Old Trafford, three o'clock kickoff. You'll obviously both be there in the press box. We've talked about the lessons uh, from the Nottingham Forest game on Wednesday. United played Palace as recently as last month at Sellers Park. That was obviously 1-1, conceded incredibly late in the dire moments of the game. I think it was a Michael Alise free kick. It was a fantastic free kick. What lessons do you think Ten Hag would have learned from that game going into this weekend? Well, it was interesting today that he was more critical about that performance than he was at Selhurst Park at his post-match press conference. He he described it as a bad performance and said that United were 90% at it, um, which you know, it, on another day it might have got a bit more traction, but it's clearly a case of that he's he's gone through the game and he's analysed it and he's probably seen a lot more things that he disliked than he saw at the time. And look, they were far too casual in that second half. They they got the goal at a brilliant time, but they were complacent uh, for well, almost the entirety of the second half until 
Elise score and then United were, were direct and, and almost and could have uh, got a, a late winner for that opportunity for Casemiro. But it was just peculiar that their game management was a case of, well, we're just going to keep the ball. We're going to um, not not be particularly creative, not overexert ourselves. And you can't you can't do that. And, and Palace got a lift from, from the substitutes that, that Vieira made. And in the end, you couldn't begrudge them their their equaliser because United had completely invited it um, onto them and th- there was no point again some, some United fans I think were complaining about certain decisions in that game but ultimately when when you go to Palace and you're in that situation you're in that position where you're 1-0 up at half time and they must have had over 60% of the ball that evening as well uh, they, they really did throw it away and that was I think that for United that must have been the more galling sorry galling of the two results that they had that week, given that four days later they they conceded another late goal at Arsenal and, and lost that game, so they've got to learn the lessons from from that one. Uh, Palace have had a reasonably decent record at Old Trafford in in recent years. They've had a couple of uh, very good wins there. Uh, one one of them without a crowd present, so you have to caveat caveat it with that. But uh, they they can be a pretty difficult nut to crack. They're not they're not really a pushover as such. I don't think. And they haven't been for, for quite some time. But it is a game that you expect United to win. There might have to be an element of patience, as there was in the first half at Selhurst a couple of weeks ago. But they did get the goal just before half-time. But they just need to be a lot more ruthless and um, and, and, and clinical with their opportunities. And they're still, they're still not at that level. They didn't necessarily need to be against Forest, But probably that first leg with that late Fernandes goal, that's, that's as ruthless as United have got all season because... The Fernandez goal that that killed the tie. The the second ninety minutes were were complete irrelevance. There was there was not as, as Ty said earlier. If if you were tasked with writing five things we learned, you you would certainly not be uh, headlining it as five things we learned. In regard to the team selection tomorrow, then Ty Martial's came back uh, in midweek. Ten Hag said after the game that look United are a better team when he's fit and when he's in the side. Do you think he'll start over Whitehorst and Diego Dallo is back in training? Juan Basak has done a, a decent, very good job in the last few weeks. Is it too soon to put him back in? And then lastly, just to end the wider picture, looking ahead, obviously we've discussed February. The bookies have made uh, United heavy, heavy favourites for top four. Is it that simple? And, and would you kind of agree with, the, with that kind of price? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they don't get top four from here, the way they're playing and just the like I said, the, the professionalism of their performances at the moment. I think they they look like a top four team. I think they'll probably finish third. Um, I, I would think that as long as nothing drastic happens, I would think that's in the bag. Um, in terms of tomorrow, I'd start Martial after after Wednesday in that half an hour and yeah, and take Vegos out. Vegos has been thrown in at the deep end, really. Um, I think I'd stick with Wambasaka. Dallo's not played yet. He can come off the bench, and it always feels like a good horses for courses selection for Wambasaka against Palace. I know. I think Saha's not playing tomorrow, but it, it kind of got lost in the aftermath of that Palace game. But that tackle he produced on Zaha in the 95th minute or whatever it was, was amazing, really. And, and Zaha's post-match reaction on, on Sky Sports when he was asked about it was yeah. was brilliant. And even without Zaha, they've got Alise and, and Eze. They've got some really dangerous wide players with, with quick feet. So I think Wamasaka probably makes sense, really, when Dallow's still building up his fitness. And you, know, you asked Samuel about it before, but... On Sabitzer for me, that I wouldn't be starting Sabitzer. I know Ten Hag kind of teased the possibility in his 
press conference, but he's played one minute since November. I think Tenag said he's had one training session. It would it would feel like madness really to throw him <clears throat> excuse me, to throw him to throw him straight in on, on the back of that when his game is about energy and, and pressing and closing down. So um so yeah, I think maybe the only change in, in that regard then for me would be Martial coming in for Vergost. Do you agree with that, Samuel? Because I've got a feeling that all three of our teams might be the same come Saturday morning when we do our, our panel. I've already I've already submitted mine just for the record. <laughs> I, it, it probably will be, as as, as Ty said, uh, w- where it's such a taxing month, it, it would be illogical to put Dallow back in when he's, he's probably had about two or three training sessions yeah. at the very most this week. So Wan-Bissaka is, is, is fine to continue there. The midfield two is unchanged. The the attack, I mean, Ten Hag can, can pick his, his first choice attacking quartet there. Um, and and there's there's good depth there as well, uh, where you've got Sancho back. And I thought Sancho was pretty bright in the week. It was good to hear United supporters uh, chant his name. That never happened before, so he had a good good ovation. He looked happy as well, uh, which is an important thing because Ten Hag, he obviously said it. There were physical issues, but he also did allude to, to mental um, matters as well. So uh, to to see him happy is is it's just a, you see anyone happy, that's positive. So. Uh, to have him as as an option to potentially come on and be a game changer is is a bonus. And so, despite issues in the squad uh, that United have countered with with some of the signs that they've made in in the winter window, uh, they should still field a very very strong team at the weekend. Also, probably one of their stronger benches uh, for the season. They've almost everyone is is practically. And international, Wambasak is probably the only one who's not attained a cap at international level, I would think. So, yeah, I, I imagine it'll be a clean sweep in terms of our 11s. It's it's going to be, um, it's, it's be... Would that just be one change? I think it would be, wouldn't it, if it's Marshall coming in for Veghorst. Oh, sorry, Rashford coming in as well. So, yeah, those mm, two coming yeah, in. And, and De Gea, yeah. obviously. As much as Tom, sorry, I even said his name there. As much as Ty and I like Tom Heaton, I think we'll both be uh, picking De Gea for Palace. A collector's item then, when all three of us agree. Stop the world, they want to get off. It's actually <laughs> happening, guys, on the on Saturday, <laughs> Saturday morning. Uh, thank you very much, Samuel. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Tyrell. Thanks, Stephen. Pleasure as always. And for listeners, if you head across to our YouTube channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment. We've now surpassed a thousand subscribers, so thank you for the support over there. Take care. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.